you are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. So this morning we want to continue our Heaven and Hell and Here series. And I just want to ask you a quick question as we get started. If you could take one thing out of the Bible, what would it be? One teaching. If you could take one teaching out of the Bible, what would it be? Some of you might go, I'll take that whole loving my enemy thing out. Right? I don't want to love my enemies. You know, some of you may say that whole forgiveness thing, nope, I'll take that out of the Bible. I don't want to forgive that person for what they said or what they did or what name they called me. I'm not forgiving anybody. C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, if I could remove one doctrine out of the Bible, it would be the doctrine of hell if it laid in my power. You know, hell is a reality that we don't want to talk about. And we don't want to think about. Someone once said it this way, hell has disappeared from our churches and no one has noticed. And so we're in the middle of the series called Heaven, Hell, and Here. Last week, we talked about the here, why it's important to live now for Jesus Christ. Because we said last week that one day you and I are going to die and we have to stand before Jesus. And we have to give an account of the life we led. And so it's important to place your faith, your trust in Christ now and live for Jesus Christ now. This morning, we're going to go over the topic of hell. Next week, we're going to finish out with the Lord's Supper and we're going to look at heaven. But this morning, as we think about hell and we're going to kind of move through several passages of Scripture, I want you to remember this. Without understanding hell, the good news, what we call the gospel, of what Jesus Christ has done for us, is no longer good news. Without understanding hell, the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us is just news. So I want you to take your Bible. Let's go to Matthew chapter 25. What I'm going to do this morning is a little different. Uh, I usually just go through one kind of passage of Scripture. where We're going to move around a little bit today, and I'm going to allow some questions to kind of drive our time. And the first question is this, is hell a real place? Is hell a real place? Now go to Matthew 25, find verse 31. I'm going to meet you there in a moment. You know, because some people think that hell is a state of mind or maybe hell is a feeling. You know, according to a recent Pew um, Research Firm study back in 2018, they surveyed 35,000 people. And out of that survey, they asked the question, is hell a real place? And out of that, 58% of people said hell is a real place. 34% said hell is not a real place. 8% said we're not sure. So if you add the 8% to the 34%, you got 42% of 35,000 Americans surveyed saying, we don't believe hell exists, or we're not sure if hell exists. But you know, Jesus taught more on the topic of hell than he ever did heaven. Jesus said more about hell than he said about heaven, and he described hell more vividly than he ever described heaven. So in Matthew chapter 25, pick up with me in verse 41, and listen to what Christ says there. It says, Then he'll say to those on his left, 
Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, go to verse 46, same passage. He said, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Listen to Matthew 10, 28. Christ says there, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Let me give you one more. Luke chapter 16 and verses 22 through 23. And these are going to be on the screen. That's the story of the rich man of Lazarus. It says, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man died and was buried in Hades, or another term for hell. Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. So what we see is Christ taught us that hell is a real, actual place. But now, what's hell like? I mean, if it's a real place, what's it like? Well, let's stay in this Matthew 25 uh, passage. Let's go back up to verse 31. And allow me, if you will, just to read from 31 to 46. And what you have going on here is what's called the final judgment, or the sheep and the goats judgment. And, and notice what it says. When the Son of Man comes into his glory, all the angels with him, then he'll sit on his glorious throne. Before him he'll be gathered all the nations, and he'll separate people one from another as sheep, or as a shepherd separates, separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Verse 37 says, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and you give you drink? And when he did, and when did we see you as stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? Verse 39 says, and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them saying, truly I'll say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Now notice verse 41. Then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? And then he'll answer them, say, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. And if you take your eyes and you just kind of scan that passage again, Christ tells us a lot about hell in that passage. First, he says hell's a real place. Hell is separation from God. Hell is eternal. Hell is a prepared place. Hell is eternity with the devil and his angels. Hell is inescapable once you are there. There is no amount of working your way out of hell. We would reject the notion that there is such a thing as a purgatory or a 
time you would spend in hell and then and then you're out of purgatory into heaven but the bible teaches this is eternal once you are there you are there once you're in heaven you're in heaven once you're in hell you are in hell it is inescapable but the good news is hell is avoidable for those that place their faith and trust in christ jesus and jesus alone Hell is avoidable. But listen to what Christ says in Matthew 13, 42. He says there in the description of hell, he says, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. See, Jesus teaches throughout the Gospels that hell is a place of suffering. I know there may be times you hear it out in culture. Well, I'll, I'll just go to hell and, and, and you know, have a party with all my friends. I mean, who, who wants to sit in heaven and strum harps all day? And, you know, heaven's boring. Hell's going to be a party. No, that is a lie of Satan. Hell is a place of eternal punishment, eternal torment. Christ says the fire doesn't die out. The worm doesn't die. There's weeping. There's gnashing of the teeth. Now, now when you read that, is Jesus talking figuratively or, or is he talking literally i mean is he describing what it's like or is he giving symbols of what it's like i I love what author and pastor tim keller says about that he says to say that the scriptural image of hellfire is not wholly literal is of no comfort whatsoever the reality will be far worse than the image what then are the fire and darkness symbols for They are a vivid way to describe what happens when we lose the presence of God. Darkness refers to isolation. Fire to the disintegration of being separated from God, away from the favor and face of God. We literally and horrifically and endlessly fall apart. So hell's a real place. Hell's a place of suffering and torment for all of eternity. But let's ask this question. Who then is in hell? Who's in hell? See, I I think if I ask that question, your mind is going to automatically say, well, bad people. I mean, bad people are in hell. You know, we we don't have any problem in our system of justice to go, well, yeah, Hitler's, Stalin's, Bin Laden's, you know, murderers, rapists, you you know, people who've, harm people in awful ways, serial killers, you know, yeah, those type people are in hell. But what about the nice, good, moral, next-door neighbor you've lived by for 20 years that has helped you out in hard times in your life that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? What about the nice co-worker you've worked with for the last 10 years as you know, they're a good, moral, upstanding person. They work hard, they take care of their family, but yet they don't know Christ as their Savior. Are those type people in hell? What about your spouse, your husband, your wife, you've been married to for 40 years, that doesn't know Christ as their Savior? What about your child, that you did everything you could to try to teach them about Christ. But now as an adult, they say, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. When they die, 
They don't believe in Christ as their Savior. Are they in hell? See, I think if we ask the question, who then is in hell, within our system of justice, it's automatically the bad people we assign there. But you and I have to remember something that the Bible teaches us very, very clearly. And it comes from Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. It says, but for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. See, you and I have to constantly remind ourselves, because of our sin, heaven is not our our default destination. Hell is. Because of sin, I've earned hell. You've earned hell. Because of our sin, we're not automatically just going to heaven because we're good moral people. right? Revelation 21.8 would put us all in that category of something up there. See, Take your mind back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created everything. And when God created everything, everything was perfect. Everything was good. God and man had a perfect relationship. And in that perfect design that God had, there was never to be separation of God and man. There is always to be an eternity of God and man in a perfect relationship. But what happened? Man sinned. And when man sinned, sin entered our world. Sin entered our world. Death entered our world. Physical death entered our world. Spiritual death entered our world separation in our world and now God being a just God and a good God had to deal with sin but God said you know what I love you so much that I've sent my only begotten son Jesus Christ in this world to die for you that whoever believes in him whoever no matter who you are what you've done whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life see because of sin we've earned hell Because of what Jesus has done, he can change that destination from hell to heaven. But it's only Christ. It's only Jesus that can do that for you. And that's what makes what Jesus has done good news. Because the gospel, what we call good news, is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. This Jesus who died on the cross for our sins, rose again to be able to beat death, beat hell, beat sin on your behalf. And so now when you come to faith in Christ, he says, I'm going to take away your sin, bring you to God now and forever. Isn't that good news? Amen. Amen. But if you strip hell out of that, it's only news. See, if we lose the doctrine of hell in our churches, if we lose the doctrine of hell from our Bibles, then what I describe to you is only news, not good news. And I know we want to stay away from this topic. I know when you woke up this morning, you probably thought, is this the week he's going over hell? You didn't think, let's go to church. But if we forget what we are redeemed from, it's only news. If we don't share what people can be redeemed from, It's only news. And so we see that hell is a real place. Hell is a place of torment. That those that don't believe in Christ as their Savior, they're in hell for all of eternity. But for some, that's a struggle. And the struggle when it comes to the doctrine of hell comes to the fairness of God. 
Because they'll say, well, wait a minute, hang on, hey, whoa, whoa, slow down on this whole eternity thing. Why is it not, why, why if, I, if I've lived a life of 70 years, and I've been a sinner for 70 years, then why am I not in hell for 70 years paying that off? Why isn't it a 77, you know, plan? Let, let me just work off what I've paid off. And this is where some will come up with that doctrine of purgatory, right? Where, where we'll say, all right, we'll be in hell for that assigned period of time, and then, and then after that, I'm out. Right? Or, or maybe there's some that unbiblically believe in what would be called annihilationism, where they're in hell, but it's not eternal hell, that there's going to be a point where, where God just annihilates everyone in hell and they cease to exist. See, emotionally, we want to run to those things. Emotionally, we want to say, okay, yeah, that, that's a fair system of justice, a 70-70 plan. You, you sin for 70 years, you're in hell for 70 years. Or, or we want to run to annihilationism. Just at some point, they cease to exist, God. But, but why is it that's eternal? Why does God speak of eternal punishment? Well, you have to understand this about sin. See, sin gains its punishment based on the one the sin was against. Okay, I'm going to say it again. Sin bases, you know, sin gains its punishment based on the one sin is against. Right? So, so let me help you out with it. Say I punch a hole in the wall. Right? I just pay to repair the hole. Okay? Say I'm in the grocery store line and I've got a gallon of milk in my right hand and a gallon of apple juice in my left hand and a you know, loaf of bread underneath the right arm. Self-checkout line, you know how those go. So I'm going to choose to go to the express line. And I'm standing there, gallon of milk, gallon of apple juice, you know, bread underneath my arm, and it's 15 items or less, and the guy in front of me has got 30 items in his cart. Now, I'm thinking in my mind, I want to punch that guy in the back of his head. I will neither confirm nor deny if I've ever had that thought, but let's just say that happens. I put down the gallon of milk, and I punch the guy in the back of the head because he's got 30 items in the 15-item line, and I'm sitting there, you know, only holding three. Well, you know what we would call that? Assault, right? <laughs> and with assault comes a bigger charge than a hole in the wall, right? I, I could get fined. I could go to jail for a couple of days. What if you rushed at the president with hands up and a weapon in your hand? You know what? Something worse than jail could happen. Secret service could just end your life right there. See, sin gains its punishment based on who sin is against. So when you sin against a holy God, you're sinning against a God who is completely holy, that's eternal. You're sinning against a God that's infinite. So therefore, the payment of your sin, the punishment of your sin is infinite because you've sinned against a holy God. But again, God gives us a way to avoid all of that. It's through the person and work of Jesus Christ. When you come to trust Christ as your Savior, God says, I'm changing that destination from heaven to hell for you not to be separated from me for all of eternity, but you to be with me for all of eternity. But how does that affect us now? How does that affect us now? How does understanding hell affect you now? Work in your life now. If you've ever watched... Uh, boxing match or maybe football game or you may have experienced this in your life I don't know if somebody gets knocked out cold smelling salt can be administered 
When smelling salt is administered to an unconscious person, it's intended to awake them quickly, to wake them violently. If you've ever seen this happen, or maybe you've experienced this, when smelling salt is applied, if you've been knocked out cold, it's not a slow wake-up like you and I have in the morning when your iPhone alarm goes off and you hit it about three times, and then after the third snooze push, you wake up slowly or maybe still laying there and you check Facebook for a minute and Instagram, and then you decide to wake up. When smelling salts apply, it's a jerking type of awake. The person is suddenly awake from unconscious to conscience. My prayer for you this week is the doctrine of hell would be your smelling salt. And let me address it in two ways, to two groups. First, for the church. Understanding hell as believers in Jesus Christ puts weight and urgency to what you and I do. What you and I do matters as believers in Jesus Christ, now and for all of eternity. See, uh, Lee Strobel, the author of Case for Christ, says it this way. He said, it's not normal for a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ to have a consistently cold heart toward the lost. See, for you and I to understand hell as believers in Jesus Christ, it's more than just, God, thank you for saving me from that. But as God let me do everything I possibly can do to help one person not experience that. And so if we say as a church, our mission is to love and to lead all people to a new life with Christ. If we say that's what we're about, it has to be more than a catchy slogan. It has to be more than what we put on our t-shirts. To say we love and lead all people to a new life with Christ means we design everything we do to help reach the next person. Everything is, you and I should not be comfortable for one second that someone in our community has died without hearing the name of Jesus Christ. It should mean for one minute we are not comfortable that someone else perished without Christ as their Savior. That means as a church... All our programs, all our outreaches, all our building remodels, everything we do is driven to reach that next person so they don't go to hell for all of eternity. So that means this. We cannot be a hotel for the saints. We cannot be a country club church where we just gather to make sure we all feel comfortable. No, our mission ought to always be Love and lead that next person to a new life with Christ. If you cut us, we bleed love and lead. We bleed that's what we're to do, to help one more person get out of a Christless eternity and come into a Christ-filled eternity. That's what we're to do. That's who we're to be, is to be that type of people, to be that type of church, to rescue the perishing, as the old hymn says, to care for the dying and let them know Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Amen? Amen. And let me address this group. For those of you that have yet to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I, I, I don't say all this this morning to, to be mean to you, I say this to be honest to you. I believe in this place called hell because I believe the Bible says this place is called hell. And, and, and I'm here to just wake you up. And I, I pray the Holy Spirit will just give you a little bit of that smelling salt 
for you to realize today you're one heartbeat away from being away from God and in hell for all of eternity. And, and, and I don't say that to be mean. I say that honestly to be loving. I say that as, as grace-filled as I can uh, because I don't want you there. And, and none of these folks want you there. I mean, God doesn't want you there. That, that's why he sent Jesus. But understand, people that are in hell are people who've constantly said no to God. And they said, no, God, I, I don't want you. God, I want my sin. I don't want you. God, I don't want my sin. I don't want you. And, and the more times you put up your hands toward God and say, God, I don't want you. God, I don't want you. God, I don't want you. There may come a point in your life where God says, okay, if that's what you want. I, I'm going to do what Romans 1 says. I, I'm just going to turn you over to your sin. And, and every time you say no to God, it gets a little harder to say yes. And so I don't want you to say no anymore. I want you to say yes. I, I, I want you to say yes to Jesus Christ today. I want you to say yes, Jesus, I, I want to give you my life. I want to know you as my Lord and Savior now for all eternity. And so, so I want to know you. And I, I love what the promise says in the Bible in Romans 10, 9 and 11. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead, you're going to be saved. For with the heart one believes and justified, with the mouth one confesses and saved. And this is the part I love, verse 11. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Listen, you may today go, look, God, if, if God only knew everything I did, there's no way he'd forgive me. He knows what you did, he's God. Nothing's going to catch him by surprise. And God says, you just come to me. If you're spiritually thirsty, you come to Christ. He'll, he'll take care of that. You're spiritually hungry today, you come to Christ. He'll take care of that. You, you got all that sin in your life, you come to Christ. He'll take care of that. I, I love that promise in the end of the book of Revelation. Jesus says, just come. Just, just come to me. And when you come, you're going to find a God that's not going to shame you. You're going to find a God that's going to forgive you. A God that's going to love you. And so what, what I want to do today is I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. We, we do a public invitation here every week just because I believe that's what Jesus did. I, Jesus preached a sermon and he'd tell people to come to him. He said, just, just come. And so we give you a chance to come. And I've always done this. In, and in my first church, little country church, 30 people, right? Same 30 people every week. We might get a visitor every once in a while and go up to 31. It's the same 30 people every week. I'd issue an invitation every week. Had a guy come up to me one day, one of the 30. He goes, preacher, why do you do that? He said, it's the same 30 of us every week. We've grown up together. We've always gone to church together. Why, why do you tell us every week to come and pray to receive Christ? I look at him and I said, you know why I do it? I don't know if you're saved. I don't know. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I don't know your heart. I don't know what's between you and God. I just know my job is to say what's in this Bible and say, come to Jesus. So I'll just give you a chance to come to Jesus. If you need to come to Jesus, he goes, okay. All right, he walks on. <laughs> so I'm going to give you that opportunity to come to Christ. I'm going to give you that chance just to come. But, but, but church, I want to give you that call to come too. I mean, this morning for you, you, you have a friend a neighbor, a child, a grandchild. Maybe you have one, you have two people on your mind, three people, four people on your mind that you know is not a believer in Jesus Christ. Would you come and pray for them today? I mean, would you come before the God of heaven and say, God, this person's on my mind. 
And God, I, I don't want to see them in hell. God, I want them to have a relationship with you. Would you pray on their behalf today? So church, would you come today? And, and would you come during that time when we sing? We're going to sing in a moment. And when we sing that song, you, you come and, and you can pray with somebody down here that's going to be down front. You can pray at the steps and just say, Lord, I'm going to come and I'm going to pray for this person to come to know Christ. Now, now, while people are doing that, if you need to know Jesus as your Savior, you come right to me and say, look, I need to know Christ as my Savior. And here's what's going to happen. When you do that, I'm going to introduce you to one of those couples that's standing with me. And they're going to take you to another room. They're going to sit down with you, talk to you, answer questions, pray for you, read some more scriptures with you, help you make that step of faith. We're not here to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to say anything in front of anybody. But I want you to come. When we stand in a moment, I want you to move. When we start singing, I want you to move and come and pray for that person. You might think, I don't want to come down front. I'm embarrassed. You don't have to be embarrassed. Nobody's going to ask you to say anything. You don't have to be shamed and feel embarrassed for coming to pray for somebody who knows needs to know Christ as their Savior. And I thought about it this way the other day when I was praying for this time of our service. I said, God... There's going to be somebody that's probably embarrassed or a little shy to come. But you're putting it on their heart to come. But God, would you use when that person steps out in faith and says, you know what? The Holy Spirit's calling me to do this. I'm going to go do this. Would you encourage someone else who maybe needs to know Christ to follow suit? See, your testimony of coming as a, as a believer in Jesus and praying for somebody else, there may be somebody sitting out there right now who needs to know Christ and says, well, wait, man, if that person can come, I can come. And so will you do that this morning? Will you come? And pray for somebody. We'll be down front to pray with you over other things. If you have prayer needs, we'll be happy to pray with you, over you. If you today need to know Christ, this is your time. So I'm going to invite you to stand. And as you're standing up, our praise team is coming back up. Our musicians are coming back up. When Matt starts singing that song, if the Holy Spirit is moving, the Holy Spirit's working in your heart, they put somebody on your mind, he's put somebody saying, I want you to go pray for this person, I want you to go pray about this situation, I want you to go pray and say, I'm ready to start a relationship with Jesus. When Matt starts singing, you come, you don't wait, you come, and you start praying on behalf of that other person when you hear that song starting. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. On Sunday mornings, we have life groups for all ages at 9 a.m., followed by worship service at 10.30 a.m. For more information about how to support the ministry of Heights Baptist Church, go to heightschurch.org give.